Hello and welcome to Can I Interject, the podcast where three Scottish kinsmen attempt in vain to educate and entertain. This is episode 27 and in it we'll discuss the current state of the Conservative and Unionist Party, music and our top five rom-coms. So we'll start this episode as we often do with our highlights and lowlights and we'll start with you Gregor, give us some highlights and lowlights over the last X number of months slash years depending on when this is released. Yeah, I was afraid he'd come to me first. Um, was the thing to him. Well, my highlights probably we touched on this in the last couple of episodes, or I, I don't know if it was the last episode or depends which ones got published. Um, <laughs> uh, but my highlight is probably successfully completing my chemotherapy. So that was that was fun. And then the low light is probably the recovery from said chemotherapy. So that could, that's ongoing. So. Yep, so good news and bad news there. Well, I suppose it's mostly good news. Fair enough. Good news and frustrating news, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. That's very good. And what about you, Neil? Uh, as I was preparing my notes here, I put my highlights and lowlights from the last week or two. And I would say the highlight is, as you can see to my right, I have made a purchase on Friday to a large wooden container. Her saving that nondescript black box. That is a home speaker. But no that uh, Sorry. I, I bought a sauna last week. <laughs> for my This is a highlight. This is a this is definitely a highlight. For my For those for those listening at some point in the future, uh, energy prices are at all time high. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh for my rest and recovery from my day to day life. Um, I was in it this morning. I'll be in it tomorrow, and it's not too bad. It's not too bad on the bills. Uh, I did check the smart meter from Friday's uh, heat experience, and it's only about fifty pence an hour to run. It's infrared. That's that's surprisingly good. Yeah, value. <laughs> I am tempted because it does take a while to heat up. I'm tempted to find a six kilowatt heater in there, but we'll see how it goes. Just get a couple of power yeah. heaters. <laughs> Um, and I guess well yes my my low light would be uh, my car died a couple of weeks ago so well it actually died a couple of months ago and I was killed so wasn't it I had to had to purchase a new car which is I guess good and bad is that you low light yeah, I think I think that's that's it. <laughs> a lot of pausing for dramatic effect. I'm not sure I what's went, going I, on. I, I'm, I returned from my honeymoon in September, I guess, if you could say, for the last six months, from a jolly old time, and to relax and recover from that stressful experience, you bought yourself a sauna. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so despite having your honeymoon in the last six months, this sauna purchase is definitely the highlight. So <laughs> <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> I would say no. I would say from my notes from the last two weeks, it's the sauna. But the honeymoon. Was <laughs> the last to my months. notes. Let me just check my notes. No, Dan. Okay, <laughs> with yours. Uh, I have none written down, and I can't think of anything past today. Maybe a highlight has been that during recent holiday, went to Disneyland Paris once again. Uh, low light would be going to Disneyland Paris once again. Life's just. Fine. I don't think there's highlights or lowlights at the minute. I can't think of anything, anything considerable that's happened in my life. So I'll probably be reminded at a later date. Um, no, so plodding on. So we'll move on from that to the bit where we all turn off or we do this at 1.5 the speed just to get through it. 
uh, and it's going to be my topic. And as Gregor said in the intro, it is, well, it's officially known as the state of the current, I suppose, government in the UK, or as I've titled it, why the new Tory slogan is hold my beer because it's such a mess. So basically what I've got is a list of... Now, when I was researching for this, I thought, how far back do I go? But when I wrote two A4 sides of things that have just happened this year, I thought maybe I'll just start in January. Because as I'm sure some of our listeners know, or maybe they don't know, uh, any our international listeners, that the, the UK is currently experiencing a Conservative government, and we have been for the last 12 years. Um, but this year, well, last year and this year, it's where things have kind of gone a bit crazy. Um, and I, I basically want to go through all the things. And I want yourselves, Neil and Gregor, to interject at any point to make any comment about anything that I say. I want this fully interactive. I don't need to wait till the end and then Gregor to go, where do I start? As he often does. I want him to start in the middle. I want to start at the start. Um, I don't want Neil to wait to the end until he starts telling me that don't worry, Boris will come back at some point to save us all. Um, like, honestly, that, like, like, I'm showing you now, these are my notes. They're on that side. They're on that side. Tiny print, tiny writing, fit it all in. So, we're going to start back in January, if we can remember that far back. Um... And the whole Partygate nonsense that had been carrying over from 2021, which was that Boris and his pals were having jolly old times while the rest of the country was in lockdown, and or lockdown. Allegedly. Sorry? Allegedly. Alle- allegedly, though there's... The inquiry ongoing. <laughs> though there is plenty of evidence, you know, you might, they're, they're, you can't, they can't even deny it at this point. So, the whole... St- this whole whole my beer starts on the tenth of January when Christian Wakeford, MP for Bury South, defects, and he defected over to the Labour Party. He had been Conservative, saying that he had no faith in the government. February the eighth, uh, trying to deal with the current instability in his government, everyone's favourite former Prime Minister, Mister Boris Bojo Johnson intervenes and he does a mini shuffle of his cabinet and introduces a man named Mr. Pincher <laughs> whose name will become all too f- uh, will become all too familiar to us as we go along and the irony of it will be unescapable and Mr. Pincher becomes the deputy chief whip of the government we get a little bit of break from there until the 2nd of April when David Warburton of Somerset and Froome stands down due to allegations of sexual harassment and the use of cocaine but a mere fortnight less than a fortnight later Imran Ahmed Khan MP for Wakefield is found guilty of sexually assaulting a 15 year old boy in 2008 um so it's all going really well at this point i wish this at this point i recall in the conversations i was having with you guys greg was feeling quite buoyant about the state of the government and positive that the collapse was imminent um i was you were you always you're always well Uh, apart from the fact you had it was about this time that the bet started flying about between us where there was talk of will boris last until the party conference yeah it's uh, (laughs) yeah uh, i don't think it's accurate it was 
point, perhaps in the in, in light of the bets I had placed, <laughs> but perhaps perhaps not in light of the context of the country. No, no, of course not. Uh, the next day, on April the twelfth, Johnson and Rishi Sunak were fined for attending a party on in June twenty twenty. So yes, we know that they broke the rules. And then May the fourth, Neil Parrish of Tiverton and Honiton quits after watching porn in the House of Commons, claiming that he was in fact watching videos about tractors. Uh, no, he, he claimed he was searching for tractors, and I, I'm not quite sure. I don't, I don't think we need any more information released, but he said he was searching for tractors, and this happened. Uh, pornographic material just happened to pop up during a routine search of, for tractors. <laughs> as it does. Uh, it's how, how I read the story. I don't know if there's a particular type of tractor that has a sort of double entendre name. But... I don't know. Well, I think it was a Massey Ferguson, but I don't, think that's a, I don't know if that's somebody's stage name or performing name. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he 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 quits because he says he wasn't, and then he was, and then on the twenty fifth of May, the Sue Gray report was published, and outlined the actual state of what had been going on with Partygate and how how widespread the breach of the COVID mitigations and the COVID rules were, uh, which was extensive and seemed to focus on number 10. And then on June the 6th, we had a confidence vote in Parliament. So there was a confidence vote within the Conservative Party, and 41% of the MPs voted against Mr Johnson. Despite the fact that he claimed that it was a, a, it was a, it was a great victory, it was a strong, strong result, strong showing for him, 41% is pretty abysmal. I think historically, it's historically bad. Historic, okay, historically Unprecedent, bad. Unprecedentedly low confidence in the but, government. But it was a great Based result. Was. It was a great result, though. It was a great result. It was, it was good. It showed that people, yeah, but forty-one percent is is very high, um, even when you've got people whipped up, <laughs> supposed to be getting whipped up to not to, to not vote against you. And on June the twenty-fourth, we had by-elections. We had by-elections which were won by the Lib Dems and by the Labour Party. The Tories lost seats. Um, quite considerable swings were were demonstrated in this uh, and it went to show that the public opinion was definitely affected by what had been going on. And on June the 30th our friend Mr Pincher resigned after allegations of groping the evening before and it emerged that he had a history of allegations which Boris Johnson denied knowing anything about and then said he knew about and he hadn't obviously taken that into account when he beat when Mr Pincher had been appointed deputy chief whip and so Mr Pincher was gone then the avalanche began where on July the 5th Sunak and Sajid Javid resigned leading to a spate of resignations where on the 7th of July, Mr Johnson announced resignation after 50 MPs resigned from the government. It has possibly got to be one of the most entertaining bits of politics I have ever seen, where it was like dominoes 
And people still try to put the dominoes up, but they were still falling as they were going because people were being appointed and within hours they were resigning. It was widespread resignations, obviously, with 50 MPs resigning from posts. Some of them had just been in, some of them had been there long term. And it eventually led to the fact that Mr. Johnson was not sustainable as Prime Minister anymore. And then we had a leadership contest. So he resigns. Off we go. And this is where things get a bit murky because in the world of leadership politics, when you are electing a new leader to a party who are in government, then they automatically become prime minister. So we should discuss the democratic nature of that later. Um, so on the 5th of September, Liz Truss defeated Rishi Sunak in the runoff between the two of them. So 5th of September, Truss wins. 6th of September, Truss becomes Prime Minister. 7th of September, Truss announces Cabinet. And I believe it was the 8th of September, the Queen died. Well, at least it was within those few days. Within those few days, the Queen died. And, you know, allegations of mischief <laughs> were suggested by some. Uh, on the 23rd of September, Kwasi Kwarteng announced the Growth Plan. Um, which was also dubbed a mini-budget, announces sweeping tax cuts with more to come. On 26th of September, however, the pound slumps to an all-time low against the dollar. It reached a point where it was it was the worst showing of the pound to the dollar since we decimalised in the 70s. On the 3rd of October... Quateng U-turns on plans to cut 45p rate of tax on earnings of 150,000. 4th of October, Trust refuses to rule out cutting benefits. 10th of October, go government detailed fiscal plan moved to the 31st of October. So there's going to be a fiscal a midterm to long-term fiscal plan announcement and they brought it to the forward to the 31st of October. 14th of October, however, Quateng gets sacked because of the state of the fact the economy is vanishing down the plug hole and is replaced by everyone's favourite Hunt, Jeremy Hunt. Um, 17th of October, Hunt rolls back most of the things in the growth plan, basically saying poo-poo to Truss and poo-poo to Quateng's plan. 18th of October, Truss abandon, abandons pledge to raise pensions in line with inflation. However, then she flip-flopped and said that she would. On the 18th of September, 44 days after becoming Prime Minister, Liz Truss resigns as the government implodes once, once again. And on the 24th of September, Sunak wins the leadership contest unopposed and on the twenty fifth of set of sorry on the twenty fourth of twenty fourth of October, Sunak wins unopposed as new prime minister and leader of the Conservative Party. And twenty fifth of October, he becomes the prime minister. And as it stands, it's actually been pretty settled settled since then. Apart from Gavin Williamson being a bully, and several members of the cabinet, including the Home Secretary, being accused of racism, inflammatory language, and just generally being an asshole. The, the the home secretary is also under uh, sort of fire as well. Is she not? That's for, what just that's what just handling, said. No, but not because of the inflammatory language. I think it's more of the sort of well, handling illegality them, of and, and and handling of 
immigrant immigration centers or processing centers and handling of her own emails and oh yeah well she she also resigned recently um well prior to Sudan getting in i think she wasn't home secretary for six days <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was something like yeah, it was about six days, and then she, she... resigned for a breach of minist- for breach of the ministerial code, and then six days later she got a job back. Yeah, well, I think well, I thought what was good about her her initial resignation was that she said I resigned because I breached the code. However, trust you're useless. So yes. a, a little bit of a bit, little bit of the old clo- um, smoke and mirrors to try and deflect people away from the fact that she was doing a bad job into the fact that Liz was doing a far worse. So, thanks guys for all the interjection you gave there. That was really in-depth. I tried my best. I know you did. You're about, You're not engaging. You're not interested. And and, and, and and Neil's busy checking the polling figures on Fox for the midterm. So. <laughs> I actually just got a notification there. Mr. Biden has just uh, tweeted. Um, but no, I actually took Gregor's advice in 2020 to check out from politics. Uh I've I've stuck by that ever since, so I've avoided the news. I I, I have enjoyed the memes this year, uh, <laughs> as you always do. Edit for the memes. The memes. I mean, for the... being disinterested in politics, you put an awful lot of money on it. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that was yeah. that was just logic. And, and for being so disinterested <laughs> in politics, you certainly talk a lot about it in the chat. I don't talk about politics at all in the chat anymore. Not since the twenty twenty election. I've checked out. It's checked out, folks. I may, I may glance at the odds. Never know. Again. Odds, yeah. He may, he some may... Good, good value bets out there to be had. You know? uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on Sky Bet. You may, you may even make, you may like the like the great Tangerine make a political comeback as well tomorrow. Nobody knows. Oh yeah. I, I, well, I made money on Rishi Sunak coming back. It was good. It was a good bet. Coming back. Well, yeah, when Boris was favourite. Was Boris ever favourite? I don't. Think, I don't think he was ever favourite. I think. Oh, I think well, he's, anyway, maybe he's briefly. Pretty close. Yeah. He was ten to eleven and eleven to ten. Yeah. But no, I, I am going to cast my vote at the next elections. Oh, good. And I think in between, and in between times, I will uh, pay as little attention as possible. You know, but don't, but you're not making any. Any specifics though about who you're casting it for? Uh, well, I'll, I will see the state of the the state of the situation at the time. Fair enough. I've lost my faith in the blue party with their dropping their commitment to corporate corporation tax. So I'm up for anything. I think they're still. I think they'll still stand you in the best stead for. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's free game, folks. Come on, Scottish Christian Party, get I in am, there uh, now. I don't know. If you can lower taxes for him personally. You guys will. <laughs> Gregor, you're not no more um, shy stepping forward. I mean, what, what would you like to comment on? What, what, have you got any specific questions? I mean, you've well, summed I'd, up I'd, I'd, nicely I mean, there. I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty good at, at, I mean, pretty much every time I've seen you in the past, well, I mean, few months, you've always been very quick with a jibe and a stab and a, you know, You've always got a political shank ready to go. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just looking forward to. I mean, you've reeled off a lot of stuff there, and it sort of demonstrates how 
how in the news the Conservative Party have been. I mean, they're currently in government, but I mean, nobody else gets a look in, do they? I mean, the news has been absolutely dominated by politics in the last year or so. So I'm quite looking forward to a period of lull. And like Neil says, I'll wait until the run up to the next election and see who, see which way my vote will be cast. We'll see, I'll assess all the evidence based on its merit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I'll vote for. Like, I have, I've always been quite firm in in the way I've voted. I've always voted the same way because it's, it's usually been, you know, despite the usual political jibes that happen from one party to another, which are just traditional and it's they're not that, um, not that unusual. I think, I think you know, like I say in the title, hold my beer. I think you get to a point where you've got to really reflect on things. And I think that applies to every everyone. You know, if, if a political party gets too far to one thing or another, we saw that with the Labour Party at the last general election, where people saw, um, what's his name, Che Guevara? Um, Gordon Brown. Who? No, last election. Good God, that was oh, a long the time last ago. One. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn. You know, he, he scared the Jesus into a lot of people because of his ideas and you know none of them should have been a surprise to anyone because they're well established and a lot of people moved blue next election I would imagine that on the current trend there will be a heavy move to the red possibly also partially to the orange um, and I think as we'll, long as it's not the yellow uh, well <laughs> well it depends if they re, if they re um, restructure the boundaries for the Constituencies before then, but the I mean they're favoured this... to, so they're favoured to make gains anyway. I think Lib Dems are small gains, which the Labour is favoured. I mean the current poll on is, if you've not seen it, is heavily skewed towards Labour. I think it's Labour over fifty percent and Conservatives over under thirty uh, percent. Yeah, but last time we spoke about this, Gregor as well. It was when Liz Truss was was she still Prime Minister? And you were saying. You say the the Tories were predicted to get forty eight seats. Well, it went down to eleven at one point. <laughs> down to eleven. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. For a, yeah. So based on the polls, if the election was held, that and there's a site I'd like to roll cal- calculus. If you plug in the numbers, of the latest polls will spit out a, a, a sort of estimated number of seats that would win, and they'd be the the fourth highest, fourth largest party in the Commons after. Of Dems, SNP, and Labour. Wow, and that that was obviously purely created by poll by 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 questions asked in Su- Su- Sunderland South, no doubt. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's. I mean, it's it, it. I I I don't I don't know what you guys think about this, but I'm a big believer that in the world of politics, anywhere in the world, if you have a party that's in power for a very long time. They eventually they eat they consume themselves. It all falls apart because they get comfortable. They go all their manifesto pledges. They they either do or don't do them, or they get and they get complacent, and then things like this sneak in, and then they get absolutely trounced. I mean, that's basically been the cycle over the last you know blocks of time. So you have this block now with a conservative government, the last block with a Labour government block before that with a conservative government and then before then it was a bit more bitty because we had the 60s and 70s which was quite tumultuous 
Um, and, and I think this is, I think this, 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 to me, this looks like that situation where this is the end. It's also been you know? a crazy yeah. time to be in power the last two years. Yeah, I largely agree with both of you, I think, because governments have got a shelf life, as Dan says. Um, they can implode quite quickly, or a strong opposition can make their mark quite quickly, but generally you don't see governments, uh, well, true governments, elected governments, serve yeah. for longer than, um, say, their usefulness. Um but Neil's right as well. Like, it's fun to, and I'm not, uh, you know me, Dan. I'm not uh, saying this to sort of come to the defence of the state of the Tory party, but um, it is difficult running a country, and sooner or later th- 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 things go badly. Often enough, that you think, oh, it's probably the government's fault, and it's, it's the government's job at that point to convince people that it's mm-hmm. like the sort of behavioural uh, biases that yeah. the things that went right were were are doing but the things that went wrong are external impacts and yeah. like Neil says there's been a lot of external impacts over the last uh, well three years three years uh, yeah well, well one 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 major well two major ones um, war in Ukraine and the Covid pandemic uh, but there's also been a lot of self-inflicted um, yeah. shocks shall we say Oh, last, since uh, since twenty ten, you touched on that there, Gregor, as well about the the nature of power and you know elected power. Should should then should if 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 you go from Boris to Liz and Liz for forty days, then to Sunak, should one of them have called a, a general election? Can, uh, can... In a truly democratic society, they should have. Of course, yeah. I mean, of course, they should have. I mean, one look at the polls, if. They, if you had any interest in democracy as an MP, you would have called a, or as a serving member of government, you would have been calling for a general election. But, I mean, you can twist it however you want, but if you're not voting for that, then your interest lies yeah. primarily in your own job. Yeah. Because if you if you cared about the will of the people and about what was best for the country, no, you could not win an argument saying that as a Conservative MP in the last six months saying me me supporting this government is the best thing for the country because it's been an absolute shambles. Yeah. Um and it's clear I mean, Poland can be inaccurate, but a thirty thirty plus point lead in the polls is just extraordinary and historically large for the Labour Party. I mean it would put them it would make uh Tony Blair's nineteen ninety seven win look like a, a slender slender majority. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers that were getting pulled out. Absolutely. And to deny a general election, or to say it's undemocratic, or to make arguments that seem to say it's undemocratic to have a general election at this point because they've got the mandate for twenty nineteen is just absolutely absurd logically. Yeah. If you um, if, sorry, but such is the nature of our democratic process in the country. Yeah, and and I think you're right. That when I say about complacency as well, it's also the the self. It's the power, isn't it? They've got this job and. But you're also, but it's also the. I think it's also the case that if you, if you, uh, your know, prime minister represents the government, so if your party doesn't have faith in you to lead, then they don't have faith in the government. So therefore, the go- we need a new government. We need a new system. But we've done that twice in quick succession. 
Yeah. So there's something not working here with a whole lot of them, and it needs oh, exactly. to be it needs to be it needs to be reevaluated. And I mean, the Labour majority is smaller than it could have been because the SNP are so powerful in Scotland. If you had something like this, you know, back back fifteen years, it would have been a totally different kettle of fish. You know, you would have had more Labour MPs. You'd have had yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. You know, but they wouldn't have had the same same clout. What do you think, Neil? Do you think we should have gone to the polls? I think we should have. Yes, that probably would have voted differently differently from last time. Well, they would have, but I mean, it's their. I mean, that's that, that's their whole point. They're they're the the, the diehards defend their position, defend their government with, with their life, and that's their job. And I mean, it's it, not it was never job, going. Though, it? it was never going to happen. No, but no, it's, yeah, no, it's not, no. I mean, it's their job at stake. Yeah, but their job is to do the best thing for the country, and objectively, there's no way they can seriously argue that. I mean, I, I get uh, it's probably unfair of them to say they're totally self-serving, because I've no doubt many Conservative MPs will think that them being in power is still better than a a Labour government, which. I, like Definitely. them imposing their manifesto is much better than whatever policies Labour have got for the country. But I mean, and and with the backdrop of everything else going on, they can't. That's not a serious line of argument, really. I don't know what you think, Neil. Well, no, I, I, that's just, just as I said. I think that's that they they believe in themselves and they think their opposition is Labour, so they would be handing off their own job to someone who they think is in an inferior party, even though they've messed up so much. I guess that's I think, handing 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 their position over to the opposition. Yeah. I think as well, like like say what you will about Keir Starmer, he's actually a more credible prospect for Prime Minister than Jeremy Corbyn ever was. You know, he Jeremy Corbyn reminds me more of somebody like um, Ho Chi Minh, like the like the 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 granddad or the uncle of the nation kind of thing, and then he would have just been this jolly jolly old chap while everything else would have been going on around him. Um, and 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 Keir Starmer comes in, and he's actually got a bit of something about him, and you know, you can see that that was the case because Boris, on several occasions, including that particularly well. You know that that when he accused um, Starmer of 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 botching everything with the Jimmy Savile thing, um, which wasn't fair and it was totally inappropriate and it was highly inflammatory and but that was the situation they were in because he wasn't just talking to he wasn't just talking to some some would be Marxist you know socialist kind of leader. We're actually talking about he was actually talking to debating with a leader of the Labour Party and it, I think it was a lot harder I think that's, you know, that was probably where that was probably the moment when I thought that Labour actually could be a credible alternative because the government are clearly scared of him. Well, that's they're, they're still using as a main line of attack and even Sunak's done this, Boris Johnson used it a lot is the fact that Stammer supported Corbyn as Labour leader they're using that as an attack yeah. on his sort of leadership ability and when you're resorting to that I mean when was that three years ago now I mean you've yeah. you've run out of ideas <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I think having said I've run out I've seen run out I think I've pro- I'm going to say I've run out of time um, and I think we'll leave it there 
and we'll move on to our next segment so thank you guys for that um yes there's a lot there a lot lot to deconstruct and i think interestingly enough within reason i think we're on the same page with that which uh, scared me half to death scared me half to death um so yeah so i think we'll move on now and we'll go to our ever faithful ever reliable very electable board game boulevard Come on down to Board Game Boulevard, bringing you board game reviews and insights you can trust since 2020. Welcome back to Board Game Boulevard for this week's segment. Uh, this week we'll be discussing Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Now this is a game we managed to get together and play. It was done as a group purchase. It was quite a uh, so uh, expensive game. Uh, weighty game in many respects um, but we got the chance to play this two months ago yep yep a face to face get together um, so as I said fourth edition so this is a re-implementation of uh, an older game title period third edition if you can believe that and this goes all the way back to uh, well, Twilight Imperium First Edition was first um, released in 1997 by Fantasy Games. It was designed by Christian Peterson, and now, after as I say, three more re-implementations are now in the Fourth Edition. Which I, released... I I apologise, Gregor, but you may continue a moment. Gavin Williamson has resigned after bullying no. claims. <laughs> So there we go, folks. See, as as it happens, as it comes to you, <laughs> bringing you up to the up to the moment news uh, two <laughs> weeks after it happens, <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition first published in 2017. Um, it retails in the region of it's usually over 100 pounds, but I think we got a de- uh, got it on deal a while ago for 80 pounds. So, or is that if it's under 100? I think we paid about 20 quid each. Um, and we got together and played a six-player game. So it plays, uh, plays up to six players, to, uh, three to six players. Uh, it's got an expansion, which we've not played yet. Uh, Prophecy of Kings, which is in order of £80 again for the expansion. So it's a hefty sum. But it is, it is widely regarded as the sort of... Um, it's a space, space 4X game. And the 4Xs stand for Explore expand, exploit, and exterminate. Um, which is a fancy fancy way of terming what you might colloquially ter- colloquially, colloquially, colloquially 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 as, as a sort Coca-Cola-y. of um, colloquially colloquially I cannot say that word um, as a sort of war game, it's not a true war game but it's a sort of uh, uh, Neil, did you call it a, a space risk or something to that, in that regard? Some, something similar, yeah. Well, every game is like risk, really, in all these concepts. <laughs> I mean, not every game. Ticket to Ride's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but all these territory games. Well, Ticket to Ride's yeah. territory as well, kind of. But... Yeah, so it's, it's the first 10 points. Um, there's, there's a ton of rules, not going to go into detail, but you've got your own race. Um, we ain't got time for of, that. Of space aliens, yeah. I mean, 
it took us all about two hours of pre-work just to be ready for fumbling through. It also took 12 hours. That was with two breaks, though. That was with a sizable break for dinner and a, a break in the afternoon. So I think we started at midday and we finished just after midnight. Yeah. Around one o'clock. Yeah. That was a couple of hours break. Um, and yeah, for, first to ten points, you typically score one point around, so you're thinking, or at least one point around, so you're thinking between sort of six and ten rounds. Um, so that gives you sort of an idea of the, the scale. You've got your own race, it's got your own special abilities, you've got spaceships, um, you try to take over different different planets and score objectives. So an objective might be hold a certain amount of cultural, uh, industrial planets, for instance, or um, engage in combat with one of your neighbours, something like that, and that'll, yeah. that'll gain you a point at the end of your turn. And it's the first one to ten wins. As I say, highly regarded on the website BoardGameGeek, um, which is a sort of encyclopedia of uh, all things board games. This is ranked sixth overall out of the many tens of thousands of board games on there, and the fifth and fifth stra- fifth highest strategy game out of all of them. So yeah, there we there we have it. Um, we'll go straight into thoughts I think from there. And Neil, what did you think of this uh, Risk wannabe? It's it's definitely the most legendary game we've played. Yeah, I've read, I didn't, I've never really actually noticed it until we bought it. But then when I, every board game shop I go into, the the box just sits royally on the top shelf next to Wingspan. Another modern favorite, but I mean. Yeah, even on even on my travels to Hawaii, there was a, it was pri- prized at the top to on the top of a game shop. So it's very popular. It's very royal, I would say. There's a lot to it. There's very much a lot to geek out on it, especially when we were given our own factions, and well, there's sixteen factions, and each have got their own backstory. They've got their own playing strategies. They've got theoretical partners theoretical alliances and also there's some hocus pocus on reddit about choosing even colors but we i struggle maybe because i was i was drinking beer at the time but i, I did struggle with to take to, to, to grasp it all for the entire the entirety of the 12 hours there was there's, there's a lot obviously there's 10 rounds and if you're averaging an hour around, there's a lot, there's a lot to take in, there's a lot, there's a lot to go on, there's a lot to remember in these rounds, and obviously that's that will happen as we experience with Game of Thrones. And the first time you play it, it's something you'll have to get used to, and you pick it up more and more as you go on. But no, I, I definitely want to bring that one back as a priority. I really much enjoyed it. Great, and Dan, um, I'd start off say that Gregor set it up brilliantly we all got invites to the event with qr codes to for videos attached that we had to watch and i have to, and gregor knows that i watched them avidly i did just to make sure i knew what the hell was going on because the game is that complicated anyone out there who wants to play this game a make sure you know how the game works beforehand do not come into it blind because you do not have time to be going through the book two make sure you've got upper body strength because the box weighs about as much as a large baby i mean i'm not even exaggerating that thing is huge 
also, I would echo what Neil said, and I would say is not a game, and I don't say this very often, but this is not a game you should drink with, because you will get lost, as members of the party did. Not not you, Neil. I'm not thinking of you. I'm yeah, not no, thinking I know. of you in this instance. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of the usual suspect. I wouldn't drink from the start. I mean, you can drink later on. But, yeah, I mean, a 12-hour think, drinking session is long enough as it is. But. Yeah, you need to get yourself into it. You need to know what's going on. It is such a complicated, detailed... I mean, the thought that's gone into this is really impressive because there are 14 different factions you can choose from. It's not like... There's, okay, you, I'm sorry? sorry to interject. There's, so there's 17 races you can pick. You all said 16, you said 14. Oh. There is 17. That's <laughs> We have no idea about the numbers. There are so many races. There are myriad races that you can play in this game. So there's there's, Sorry, thank you, Gregor. There's 17, um, each with a really complicated and well-developed... Just a story, let alone everything else. You know, the whole... You know, the point of the game is not to win fights. The point of the game is to win overall. Battles aren't necessarily required to win. But the, the very easy to get drawn into it because I think we play so many games where battles become, you know, a relevant part of the game. Things like Game of Thrones where you need to battle to take castles. Shogun where you're battling for territory. Here battles aren't actually that important. You can do it with, with, with intrigue and, and, and conspiracy and diplomacy and all these things. And I think it makes it such a, a well-rounded game. I would rate it personally... I think I like it more than Game of Thrones. Probably because I actually took the time to understand it and I appreciated it more rather than sometimes, uh, you know. And there was a lot to go with it. Um, it, it It was a really enjoyable game. It's a long game and you need the staying power and i think now that we've done it once we understand exactly what we're dealing with because it's you it's not something you can just pick up and play in an afternoon you can't go in and go oh, i fancy playing this today you need to actually be 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 in the mindset for it and some of us were some of us weren't um but i think next time next time we'll be ready for it i think i think we're all ready for it i think everybody grasped the rules pretty well and like if and I don't know if it's because I did more prep for this, but I think it was no more... Yeah, it's probably because we've played more games since then as well, but when we first, I remember when we first played Game of Thrones, it took like three games for us to get yeah. through a game without constantly checking the rulebook. Whereas this, I felt I grasped a lot quicker. Yeah. And it, I think it flowed a lot better. Um, even though it took so long, a lot of that time, like we weren't spending a lot of time looking up rules. It was just because of the nature of the game. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah, yeah. that that twelve hours is like atypical as well. I mean, maybe typical of your first game, but that comes down to sort of between maybe four and eight, depending on the number of players. As you get more familiar with the rules and things and strategies, um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed it as well. And like Dan said, it was more to it than the sort of fighting and there was a lot of scope for diplomacy and, and there was so much discussion about what everybody should be doing and you've got these agenda cards as well when everyone around the table votes on yeah. if you should implement new rules for everyone to adhere to so there was a lot of dis- there was just yeah there was so much sort of diplomacy and discussion all the way through whereas there is that in Game of Thrones but it sort of break down, breaks down towards the end because you see somebody get into the was it seven victory points? And you're like, right, we needed something about that. So 
you're making deals, but you know fine well what's happening, sort of thing. <laughs> like if you're yeah. getting, like if you're going to, maybe a few surprises early on, but a few turns in, you're thinking, right, I'm not getting the support of this person anymore, sort of thing. Like it's, yeah, yeah. there's no. Whereas this, it was, there were three people in it towards the end. I think two had eight point or one. There was like three, three players within a couple of points at the end. And so it got quite tense in terms of negotiations and things. So it was, yeah, it was re- really, it was the most sort of epic game I think we've played. Absolutely. It, it filled the time really well, I think. Like, it didn't feel like a 12-hour game. I have a question. Yep. Probably for you, Gregor, because you have probably watched many um, player reactions and things to this game. But there wasn't much combat in our game. Is that you would? I'm assuming you'd expect to see more combat than we had. No, I think that's fairly typical because you don't com. Because combat in the games, you only really you need to be careful with the combat because ships take so much to build, and then yeah. it's not it's not like you're gaining victory points for combat in and of itself. Whereas you are pretty much in Game of Thrones because you need territory to take over the, the victory points. Whereas in this, there's non combat based victory points like one was spending command tokens yeah for example like spend six command tokens in a turn and you don't need any like it's not in your interest to go into, go into combat to achieve that achieve that victory or research technology was yeah. another victory victory point condition so you're not you don't need to combat the only the main bit of combat is if you take the central Central planet, Mechatol Rex. You get one. You basically get one point a turn, one victory point a turn. Yeah. On top of, and you can get that on top of the, um, on top of the other objectives as well. So you could turn you could turn out a lot of victory points if you've got Mechatol Rex. And so if someone's as we found out, under me with it, you want yeah. If 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 someone's got Mechatol Rex, you want might want to move in there if they're a few points ahead because. The bit harder to stop, um, so that's really where combat comes into it. But no, I don't think it was. I mean, if anything, I thought we had more combat than it than was necessary. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Um, like I say, it's easy to get drawn into these things because um, we're so used to it, and it's Neil. Neil loves a fight, so he always says that. Hardly, I was getting attacked to hell in that game. <laughs> I can I can barely remember it, if I'm honest. I wasn't drinking that much. I know I know I I was just sort of plodding along, enjoying myself, having a good old time as a massive space turtle. But yeah, Dan Dan managed two points in that game. Yeah, I wasn't fast though because it was it's it was good experience. A sixth of a point an hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wasn't in any rush. What's the rush, guys? And you you literally got handed handed one of those points. Hey, hey. Don't be rude. No, you you had a card. I know. It said you got one point. I know. We'll play the game. I wasn't there to win. I was just there to play because I knew first time around. Evidently. Dead still. <laughs> Don't be a dick. <laughs> so we'll go to the scores. Yes. Neil. Here's your score. Go on, say seven. Be consistent. <laughs> Judging, I'm going to place this as a future score of playing it three times. 
because I did I did struggle with uh, remembering every single detail every single round to do it autonom- autonomously. So I will give it an eight point five. Christ, we're doing out of twenty now, <laughs> which does round up to nine for all you math nuts. <laughs> For all, you, that, Neil. For, for all you primary four math nuts out there, let's get this done. For all you math nuts that can't, can't, can't calculate that yourself. Uh, Dan, and, and you? I'm giving it a clear nine. It, like, it, it only gets deducted a point because it's really long, and it can't be helped, but it is, you know, it does it does get a bit tiresome at points as you're going along. Um, but I give it a nine straight out. I'll give it a nine as well. I think there's scope to go higher on yeah. subsequent plays because there's a lot of depth of strategy we've not explored, uh, obviously. And the, but even even as an intro game, the experience was unrivaled. I think in anything else we played, and the the length had to do with that because you're so invested by the time you you're you get a few hours in, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I'd give it a nine as well. The scope to go higher. High praise indeed. I wouldn't jump this. Oh, well, I mean, it's up to you. But as we say, we might not jump into this this one straight away <laughs> if you're new to the uh, uh, board game and hobby. But definitely want to have on your radar Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Absolutely, and um, thank you for that, Gregor. Yeah, we we really enjoyed that, as you can tell, and we're looking forward to playing it again. We're now moving on to Neil and his topic about something from the mind that brought to your attention water fasting cryptocurrency and nose breathing it's Neil's topic thank you for the music, music. oh lord we'll be here for hours <laughs> Just a a narrow topic for me this week. Well, no, it's actually something that I think about quite a lot because my how my habits of listening to music have changed over the years, and and it was a big part of my teenage life, listening to rock and metal and playing the violin, uh, in quite a a wide bre- breadth of music tastes, and I kind of lost I kind of lost that in my late teens and early 20s and obviously when you're when you're a teenager you're also going to gigs a lot more and so I was actively listening to music a lot more uh, but as I grew older I, I stopped really listening to music that much and I found that during my life there was never the same opportunities to listen to music I'd say when I was in my teen, teenage years I would listen to music all the way through my paper round and then while playing games I'd listen to music in the car, I'd listen to music, but now it kind of narrowed it down to only when I'm in the gym for the last few years or on a run. That's the only time I'd be listening to music, and it would be kind of just upbeat, up tempo music. So it's motivation. But during the lockdown, as you see, my little friend to the right here next to the sauna, the bottle little home <laughs> speaker. <laughs> As I worked from home a lot more, I decided to get a speaker and I've been 
taken aback by listening to all the old stuff I used to listen to and catching up with all the old bands that I used to follow. That thankfully some of them are still releasing music. Slipknot just brought out a new album last month, and yeah, and so, so I'm I'm listening to kind of metal and rock again, which I didn't for years, and so I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, but my music taste has has never really changed that much. It's developed into different ones: upbeat dance music for the gym, and metal music. I obviously have the appreciation of other types of music, but it's it's something that's changed a lot as I've grown older. So my questions would to you would be one question at a time, sweet Jesus. How has your music? listening habits change as you've gotten older and are you listening to the same stuff are you trying to listen to new stuff do you let a podcast let a playlist play or do you i I didn't know i need a piece of paper to write all these down or do you seek one question at a time (laughs) one question at a time neil don't like dump them because then we're not gonna be able to answer them just throwing out ideas uh oh god no questions they're just thoughts yeah how is your Okay, how has your listening habits changed as you've gotten older, and like in the places that you listen to music, Gregor? You, I know you've got a record player in the living room. Yeah, so that's so. I backed a Kickstarter. So the story behind that is I backed a Kickstarter, and if a stretch goal was met, you got a vinyl. Uh, with it and the stretch goal was met and so this final arrived of this album I backed maybe 18 months after I backed it and I thought I've got that vinyl there I'm going to need something to play on and in my naivety I thought I'll just get a record player so I, got, I bought a record player for a not insignificant amount of money but only after I bought the record player I realised there's other equipment required to play this record so <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with this, but you get these all-in-one record players, but there's essentially a series of pieces of equipment you need to play a record. One is the record player itself. The second is a preamp. The third is an amplifier. And the fourth is the speakers. So that's basically the, the, the road from record to music is through those four pieces of equipment. Now, sometimes they're integrated, so you could have an all-in-one set with all four bits of equipment in it. Or you could have them all separately, or you could have an amp with a preamp built in, you could have an amp speaker built in, and so on. Um, but I've now got all all four pieces of separate equipment to play my record. So it sent me back, I mean, <laughs> an inordinate amount of money just to play this free record I got, <laughs> essentially, on this Kickstarter backed. But I've now got, I've now got a number of uh, uh, vinyl LPs that, that, that I've bought, and I've, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you an idea of... What was the question? Do you want the story of the record player? Or do you want? No, I want to it... know how your listening habits have progressed through time. Listening habits? So I now listen to records, whereas I hadn't previously. Well, I did when I was younger, but I didn't have a record player. Um, but um, our granny and granddad did. I don't know if mum and dad did. Probably At some point. When we were very young, yeah. Um... So I listen to music in the car now, whereas I didn't when I was younger because I couldn't drive. 
It was mostly in my bedroom I listened to music on the CDs and tapes. So it started old enough that my first album was a cassette. And then it was shortly after that I moved to CDs. Um, maybe when I was 12 or so. Um, now it's mostly online. On uh, Spotify. Um, if you're listening, we're open to an exclusivity, exclusivity deal. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vinyl, vinyl and online. It's most yeah, it's mostly YouTube and Spotify. I used to listen to it when I was working in an old company, but I don't do that anymore. Um, well, I have done when since I've been working at home, but yeah, it's mostly records or online. If I'm doing stuff about the kitchen or the house, I'll, I'll put uh, an online streaming service on. Would you say you listen to music less or more than in your teenage years? I'd say less in my teenage years. Yeah, definitely. I'd say considerably less. Yeah. Because, I mean, I must have listened to music for... On average, a couple hours a day. Yeah, that's what I would say. Whereas I don't, I mean, you're lucky if it's a couple hours a week now, probably. Depends how much I'm driving. (laughs) Well, Dan, same question. Um, I I consider music to be, apart from all the usual stuff in your life, which comes up in the pecking order, music is one of the most important things in my life. And it has been for as long as I can remember. Um, I don't think I have a particular genre that I like more than another. I, I like all genres. Well, virtually all genres. I do not like... Um, there's some I don't like. But the vast majority I like. What well, um, don't you like? Sorry, you cut out there. I didn't say. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Will you say? Case, That'll be fun. In case, in case Stormzy happens to be downloading, I do want to insult him. Is it Taylor uh, Swift? I, no, I don't mind a bit of Swifty. <laughs> no, I do not like any modern R&B. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't like anything that just seems to think that by hitting a synthetic bass all the time is somehow achieving anything. Um, so I'm not a fan of that. But I like I like like I say from classical to country pop rock metal, um, and, and everything in between. I really enjoy. Um, I don't have necessarily a favorite artist or artists. I like different songs that they produce. Um, if I am commuting, so if I'm having to get the bus to work, that probably means that I'm listening to music at least three hours a day. Because I will listen to music on my commute. I will listen to it at work. I will listen to it uh, in the shower. If I'm cooking in the kitchen. If I'm tidying. If I'm sorting. If I'm doing anything. We listen to the radio sometimes at night. Before bed. So I've got music then. Um, Yeah. uh, Music is really important to me. Feelings and thoughts and emotions. And everything that it brings. I really value. Um, And... I think is possibly. I mean, art. May, art, I suppose, makes me teary sometimes if I'm impressed. But I think it's probably music is probably one of the greatest aesthetic creations that mankind has ever made. And how would you come across new music? I guess the the number one place for that is usually the radio. But I guess the radio is kind of on a being on a 
linear decline for the last 20 years. <laughs> uh, is there something else you got on a linear decline as well? You've got everything on a linear decline. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an exponential decline, I'm not sure. No, that's that's cryptocurrencies on exponential decline. <laughs> <laughs> Since the birth um, of the Bluetooth speaker in the car. I, I think, uh, f- for me, it's usually well, radio. It could be, you know, suggestions on Spotify. It can be YouTube because I quite like I quite one of my it's 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 classed as a genre, but I'm not really sure. It, it's very um, it's very mixed, but I really like um, acoustics and covers. So that's sort of like quite you know somebody says oh I like cover, that's quite a, a it's a, it's a cross curricular I suppose of all the different things. So I usually find songs that way, or I find artists I quite like who who just cover songs who are very talented. There are some very gifted cover bands out there who I really enjoy. So YouTube's usually a good way to find stuff as well. Um, and all that type of stuff. Um, but just, yeah, just the usual routes, I think. Um, and I've always got my ear to the ground. And the 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 demographic of the people I work with usually offer me quite an insightful understanding of the latest and current uh, popular music as well. I suppose, Gregor, with your vinyls, you won't. <laughs> Is there too much to update in the vinyl world? <laughs> Is it... So it's well, I'm mostly re- I'm mostly going, uh, getting for my vinyls. I'm I'm getting classic albums that I listen to, or, uh, classic albums I have listened to and enjoyed from my youth. I suppose, uh, or like other collect collections and things. So I've got, um, uh, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Nice. So it's a classic album I hadn't listened to. Um, I've got Killer's Hot Fuss, Arctic Monkeys, um, first album. Whatever people say, um, some some some, whatever it was. Uh, these are obviously enjoying my youth because I can recall them so vividly. Um, and like other, I've got Lord of the Rings soundtrack on vinyl. I've got the Hamilton soundtrack on vinyl. So, yeah, things. And I've listened to them a lot on Spotify, so I think it was, it'd be nice just to have them on vinyl as well. How how do you find new music? Do you just let playlists roll on Spotify? Mm, a variety of ways. Some of the best artists I've found are through collaborations with like, artists I already listen to. So I'd say that's probably two, like one big artist that I've found in the last well, maybe sort of ten years or so, and another sort of other artist I listen to. Um, frequently um so listen to a lot of well the main genres of music i listen to are probably rock and rap the two biggest ones and then probably third would be pop i'm not a fan of rap i'm afraid oh no i'm not popular uh genre in this group (laughs) what Uh, actually no no that's a lie i like i like rap i hate r&b Right. Yeah. Oh, grunge can't stand. Don't mind Eminem. Grunge. Yeah. You don't like Nirvana. Mm, yeah, but Pearl Jam, Austin Chains. I mean, Nirvana's people. probably as far as I go with it. Right. So, right. Because cause Kurt Cobain unplugged is extraordinary. So. Nirvana unplugged. I think I'll never let my, I'll never, I'm very stubborn. I guess it's probably why I watch The Office every day. I'm very stubborn on what I listen to. I'm very stubborn on what I watch because I want to 
<laughs> I know what I like, in, and then I'll my, just I will listen to the same thing over and over and over again. In my in my in my business in my business, when when somebody demonstrates that, we usually give them a, an autism test. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll I'll I would switch between three artists for just months on end every day and just listen to them. I used to do that. If there's a song, if I find a song, a new song, and I go, wow. I'll just I can play that again and again and again and again until. Yeah, I had a friend last year that introduced me to a Norwegian Viking metal band, and I, I still play it. If I'm it's the first the first thing that comes up on Spotify that playlist, <laughs> I must, hundreds of times I must have played it. But yeah, other other than that, just this standard like I'll maybe put playlists on a genre of music that I'm interested or subgenre of music I'm interested in. I might find new bands that way or new artists that way. Um, that's mostly through rap because rap of a, uh, rap music is more of a tendency to sort of collab- like have collaborations and necessarily rock music. Um, for rock, I probably just stick to what I know. I think mostly. Would you go and see a live band again, or do you have any plans to go and see a live band again? I don't have any plans. No Would plans. I? Probably, yeah. I saw one not that long ago, the pre-quote of 2019. Did you? That's the last one I saw, I think, yeah. I cannot remember the last time I went to see a band. But I do. I will be going to see Muse next year. And maybe Download Festival. It does look good. Metallica's back. I would I would love, like, if I won the lottery, <laughs> I would go to that. Have you seen that, that one that's happening in um, Las Vegas? No, um, oh, what's it called? I had the I had the poster saved. Electric Daisy Carnival. No, uh, what's it called? No, hang on. I would like to go and see live bands because I'm it's it's like, the live music. I'm not sure, but maybe it might have a comeback. But the the kind of live music in bars is big. But the going to see gigs. I'm kind of detached from that world now where I'd be very much into it in my teenage years. I'm not sure if it's on the decline or the whole bands in general, rock bands in general have been declining. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're making a comeback. Couldn't get tickets to Ramstein. It's mostly smaller acts I've seen in recent years. I'd, def- I'd definitely go and see them again. Um, ranging from maybe 50 or 100 people to three or 400 people rather than sort of Saw him use a few years ago, and that was that was the thousands. Yeah, well, I've not been at a stadium gig or that. I've been to in the park, which is obviously massive. But yeah, muses in Huddersfield Stadium. I just saw the SECC, so it wasn't quite as big. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So yeah, it's it's when when we were young. Uh, it's October twenty first, twenty twenty three. Green Day, Blink one eight two. Uh, Good Charlotte, The Offspring, Jesus. Uh, Sum 41, Simple Plan, Avril Lavigne, Bowling for Soup. Uh, Bowling for Soup? That's a, a band uh, on each other. 2008, all in one. It is, it's, yeah, it's like, it, it is the, yeah, uh, Rise Against, Pierce the Veil, 30 Seconds to Mars. Uh, who else is there? Like, like it, it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's. Oh, that was it. Uh, 
My Chemical Romance, Paramore, Bring Me the Horizon. We get the idea. We get the idea. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, I got um, I exhausted most of the ones got out of my system when I was young, but there's still bands I've I've missed, and I would like to see Ramstein. I've missed tickets to them, but yeah, they're now but they're now they're now playing huge events and they're like two or three every so often coming out of retirement. I think Green Day was the only one I didn't see that I think I wanted to see because I saw Eminem and Rage Against the Machine, and those were my sort of two big two big ones that I wanted to see. See, I never went when I, you know, living on Sky. Never went to any gigs or anything. You know, I think I saw the Pete Bog Fairies once, and I knew Donny Monroe on the streets of Portree from Runrig and stuff like that. So I never went. So it wasn't until I was actually at university I went to anything. And like, what I, I haven't been to many because I'm sort of one of those people I quite like going to see, like people talk and classical performers and stuff like that or, or shows you know like when we talk about musicals and stuff so i've seen like i've seen elton john i've seen the eagles i've seen who else i've seen a few others billy joel so like the billy, uh, billy joel um and 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 uh, jules holland uh it was actually quite i was actually i was, I was surprised how amused i was and how young i felt um in the audience uh but yeah, I never, I never went to see any of these, so that's why I'd love to see this because I'd actually it's like I'd basically saturate myself in all that stuff from when I was younger, and you know, save it, save it, cut a couple of corners with that, and just get that done. Well, that's good to know. I think we're all pretty, pretty similar. We're all similar but different in our own little ways. I think my taste in different music's slightly different, but but all our all our music taste is very different. Slightly different, anyway. I recommend the vinyls, though. I think we're all quite eclectic on our music tastes, but I'd, I'd definitely, I reckon, I'd recommend the vinyl player because it definitely makes me because I, I really like listening to an album. Like I will put on playlists and things, but more often than not, I'll listen to an album, like start to finish, the way it was intended. <laughs> um, yeah. But and the vinyl player is great for that because you can just sit down and put it on. So I've got it on two two hours a week, probably under underestimation. Because I've got the vinyl on at least once a week. Um, and I'm probably not in the car for more than that as well. So, But it is, it is good just in the afternoon because we don't have the TV on that much anymore. Um, Last quick question. Favourite radio station and how often do you listen to it? What's radio? <laughs> a digital <laughs> thing they started a couple of years ago. Oh, shit! I'm cutting you. LBC James O'Brien, <laughs> <laughs> bringing you all the latest hits yeah. from the cabbies, <laughs> the cabbies and the lorry drivers making their way to Dover. <laughs> uh, Radio Two for standard, but I do if I get a chance like Pla- uh, Planet Rock. That's a good. Ch- that's a good station. And mine's a smooth radio when we're kicking it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to clarify that was a, that was a joke. Of, um, part. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we we don't need to clarify for the, the benefit listeners. for the benefit of the listeners. The um, listeners are more than aware of your dry humour. <laughs> I enjoy listening to the old Ricky Gervais, Carl Punkton, and Steve Merchant 
That's not a radio. I mean live radio. So yeah, they were radio. radio Gregor. Live radio. Live radio. No, I don't I can't even remember the last time I consciously put the radio on. It was probably when I had the metro and driving back from work at like two in the morning. I used to listen to there was a sort of hip hop show later on in the evening. I used to listen to it was quite good. Um, that like I found that was a way of finding music back in the day. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the way to the radio. Find it. But yeah, I've not done that in a while. No, I mean at least fifteen years. I think these the little speakers are quite good because you just say, "I'm not going to say it now because it'll start doing it." But play a radio station. Yeah, you you would say the thing. Yeah. yeah. But oh, great, good insight. Coolio. Well, thank you, Neil, for that. That was that was a good topic. You know, went your way it was going. So I think the topic is called music. Open bracket. Why Gregor is peddling vinyl. Close bracket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, highly recommend the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> that's it there come on get the royalties um so we will now move on to we'll now move back to gregor who will be serenading us with his top five rom-coms if he's managed to come up with them yet <laughs> this is the top five yep top five already to go and uh, this week it is top five rom-coms. So I thought I'd give a bit of an intro on what a rom-com is, a bit of history behind them, and then we'll go straight into it. So let's start with the definition. I'm sure there's a, a bit, and it, Neil and I have spoke prior to this, but uh, I had an inkling on one that might be on his list. Um, but definition of a rom-com is a, it's a comedy um, where the central theme is a romance involving usually two uh, central characters, could be more though. Follows the standard you know, structure, so there's a setup, uh, two people meet, often in contrived circumstances, and they begin a romantic relationship. There's then a, the confrontation, so there's some sort of crises, um, usually this involves them breaking up or parting ways, and then there's a resolution at the end, they get back together, and typically it's a happy ending. Of course, these, this is sort of standard um, classical uh, plot but as with any uh, genre the rules are there to be broken so I'm sure there's plenty of plenty of films, books and plays that don't conform to these uh, this, this structure as I'm sure we'll, we may all have on our list um, Whoa, plays, I did, I could get oh, I could put Dr. Zhivago down now I didn't know that That's a film as well Yeah uh, historically, then, a concept is many centuries old. I'll look into this <laughs> and can verify. But romantic comedies were prevalent in ancient Greece as part of the New Comedy Era, um, which came to the fore around the time of the death of Alexander the Great in 322 BC. It could also be the case that other ancient cultures had similar types of plays. I couldn't find any evidence of it, but my research time was limited, so... But I'm sure, I'm sure that Listener, I'm sure this... listeners, was it <laughs> What? <laughs> You've had plenty of research time. No, the, I mean, in the research time allocated to this. Um, oh. But I, I've, I've no doubt that it, it, wherever, wherever plays were um, performed, uh, this, this type of story was told. 
In terms of British and Irish history, around the turn of the 16th century, uh, like many other forms of, um, or many other genres of storytelling, Shakespeare dabbled in romantic comedies, much to do about nothing, Midsummer Night's Dream, and to a lesser extent, Taming of the Yeah. Personal favourite of mine later on is Importance of Being Ernest in 1895 by Oscar Wilde, the famed Irish poet playwright. It's had a number of modern film adaptations. Uh, it, it was originally written as a play, but most recently in 2002, I watched this uh, featuring Judy Dench, Reese Witherspoon, Rupert Everett, and as uh, is legislated, Colin Firth, <laughs> presumably, as he as he appears in all these. Um, British and Irish uh, play adaptations and as long as there's been modern cinema there's also been romantic comedies uh, for example in the early 19 or mid 1920s Sherlock Jr starring in um, Buster Keaton famous silent film actor and uh, filmmaker this continues through the next few decades I won't go into the details but there was a sort of resurgence of the comedy of comedy of manners and screwball comedies as sort of subgenres, not really subgenres, but um, genres that overlapped with romantic comedies coming in and out of fashion over the next few decades. The term rom-com itself was recognised by the Oxford English Dictionary in 1971 and the uh, critically acclaimed and well-regarded film Annie Hall by Woody Allen was followed in 1977, um, which has been regarded as paving the way for the modern rom-com. Uh, speaking of modern rom-coms, that was kick-started. Um, uh, there's, I originally had Sleepless in Seattle and Four Winds in a Funeral um, for the US-UK equivalents um, in 1993-1984, but you've also got Open Harry Met Sally in 1989 as well. Perhaps not conforming to the maybe traditional tropes that f- followed it um but yeah i'd say sleep in seattle and four minutes of a funeral set the tone for the rom-coms that would follow over the next sort of 10 20 years and helped ignite richard curtis's filming career <laughs> so there we go a brief history of the romantic comedy um so yeah i'll go back to the definition where the cent- comedy where the central theme is romance involving usually two central characters so i had I was I was going to I had an example film that I'm going to change now because it's on Neil's it's on Neil's list of what I didn't consider a romantic comedy. So your fairly typical romantic comedy is, uh, I mean, this might be on his list. Four Men's in a Funeral. Um, the the story is about um, is Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant. Uh, the story is about them sort of. Uh, falling in love, getting together, um, happily ever after, sort of thing. Um, whereas, contrast that to, and this was on my short list, to be fair, but White Men Can't Jump. I don't know if you've seen that. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a comedy. It's, it's, I don't know how you feel about it, but I really like it as a film. But it, it covers a lot of different aspects of sort of um, life, and, uh, and there's a romantic two romantic relationships but um, sort of Woody Harrelson's character um, sorry I had, probably gets more attention on the relationship front and I w- but I wouldn't ca- categorise that as a romantic comedy per se it's a comedy in which there's 
a sort of elements of it pertain to a romantic relationship, but it's not the sole focus of the film. I don't know if you how how you if you agree with that or how how you would define a romantic or how you have defined a rom com for your top five. I think conforming to the normal one, yeah. I think uh, by typing into Google top romantic comedies and seeing what it gives me. Yeah, well, the, the problem with that was I found that I probably didn't agree with some of them. Nah, well, you probably wouldn't agree with mine then. <clears throat> right, okay. I mean, I'd, so, I'd agree with most of them, but there was a few in there. I was like, uh, is that really? Super bad? Yeah, uh, but it, super bad. Yeah, that, that's another one. I thought <laughs> <wouldn't, laughs> you said Superman. <laughs> I wouldn't have super bad as a romantic no. comedy. Um, but yeah, let's let's kick off then. Uh, Neil, let's start with you. What's your number five? Well, you can't talk about a romantic comedy without a nod to Mr. Romantic Comedy himself, Hugh Grant. So I'll start off with my favourite Hugh Grant romantic comedy, uh, Notting Hill, uh, with him and Julie Roberts in a, probably the most British film ever, based in Notting Hill in London. Um yeah, just enjoy it. Great, yeah. Uh, a Brit- British rom-com staple, which curses follow up to Four Winds. Good pick. Dan? Um, my number five... <laughs> I'm not even sure. <laughs> Don't know where to put them in. Um, I'm going to say my number five is Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Okay. <laughs> Get that rangy. Came out in 2010 with Michael Cera and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It's a story of Scott Pilgrim trying to win the girl. But to do so, he must deal with conflict and challenges throughout the process by fighting uh, Mary Elizabeth's many exes in a style reminiscent of classic uh, video game. Yeah. This, I've really wanted to watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. This seems like the type of film that I'd really enjoy. Have you never but seen it? I did I did try to watch it, and I just could not get past Michael Sarah. He just... Yeah, he's hard he's to get past. unwatchable in some yeah. cases. And this, he's, all right, he's not too bad, it's super bad. But I just, I, I could not get past it in this one. Like, at, at maybe about 20 minutes, half an hour in, I was like, I can't, I'm done. He's so moany. He's got a really moany voice, and like, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. But I, I enjoy it, and so yeah, it comes in my number five. Have you seen it? Neil? I don't know if I've seen it. I've certainly seen. I've certainly started to watch it. I don't know if I got all the way through it, but it was a few years ago. It's got a great cast. It's got a really good cast at the time. Who have, you know, a lot of them have now gone on to bigger and better things. Yeah, I don't mind Michael. Apart from Michael Sierra, I don't mind Michael. Sierra. He had it. No, he had a good. Was he not in Juno as well? Yeah, but wasn't Juno before this? Oh right. Oh sorry. Yeah, like afterwards. Yeah. Post. Well, I think, yeah. Post. Post. My number. Yeah, Juno, Juno answer for bad before this. Sorry, just checking. Right, he's not done a lot since then. Well, Lego Batman maybe. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Settle down, Michael. The Lego Batman? Yeah. When was this released? 2017. Is it a rom-com? No. no. I don't know if that's going to be. Lego Batman. My, my number five, though. 
is 13 Gone and 30, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. Don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, time I've, travel I've comedy. Have, yeah, yeah. I've heard of it. I've not seen it. I kind of watched this by accident, actually. Um, I think it was just on, and it's one of those ones you just end up watching because <laughs> nothing else better to do that day. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. But that, that's what happened with this, and I just remember I really, really enjoying it. Is that the uh, overarching yeah. theme? The, co- yeah, the, rom- the romance? I so. Yeah, I would say this definitely fits into the rom com. Yeah. Follows all, I don't, don't want to give away the ending, but it's been a while. Follows all the standard. I mean, there are, there are other elements to it, I suppose. There is about it's a sort of coming of age thing, but I'd say the romance is a central part to it. Like, the, there's two main characters in it, and it's those two, and it's about their journey together. Yeah. Or not together, as it, as it, as it turns out. Yeah, my number five, 13 going 30. Number four, Dan. Neil. 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 Uh, so you don't really associate romantic comedies with being completely and utterly hilarious. Uh, but I think there is one main exception <laughs> to this. Apart from the state of found is a comedy. <laughs> uh, well, I guess it's kind of this this comedy group. Um, I guess they've probably done a couple. Some you can include, some you can't. But uh, the 40-year-old virgin, Steve Carell, and the, the usual characters in his posse. Um... Yeah, absolutely hilarious. I've watched it a few times. I could probably watch it every once every couple of years. Uh, usually catch it when it's on TV. Uh, yeah, just utterly hilarious. Timeless. It's been. I've only watched it once. It's been a while. Um, I, I'll give you that one because I can't remember, but it popped up on a few lists. It does. It does. It still shows up on the TV now and again. Do- Sorry, Dan. Before you go, dodgeball. Is an example of something that's not a romantic yeah. comedy, but has romance as a sort of theme in it, like the like a sort of yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. thinking that sits alongside the forty-year-old virgin Anchorman's also similar to that. Yeah, Anchorman's more towards rom-com than dodgeball, but I still wouldn't call it a rom-com. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, right, Dan, that's your number four. Uh, my number four is forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, a, a true, a true fine time for film production. Clearly, uh, this this sort of noughties into the into the teens. Uh, this was came out in two thousand and eight, starring Mila Kunis and Jason Segel. Uh, I remember watching it at uni. Really enjoy it. It's my kind of comedy. It's sort of that slightly zany silliness that goes on. Uh, once again, great cast of supporting actors and actresses in that as well. Um, Shame, shame, Russell Brand's in it, but there's nothing you can do about that, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, my number four. Russell Brand's probably the best best thing in the film. Russell Brand, Russell Brand uh, is on my click list. If I had the power to click people out of existence, he'd be up there. <laughs> so you didn't enjoy the, the spin-off, Get Him to the Greek? I don't watch, apart from forgetting Sarah Marshall, I don't watch anything with him. Nice. Oh, well. You're missing out, Dan. I don't Great think film. <laughs> My number four. Uh, could, there's not a couldn't possibly a rom com list without him. Adam Sandler. <laughs> Fifty oh, first God. days. <laughs> oh what? Fifty first days. From 
yeah, there's sort of two strands of rom-coms, aren't there? There's American and the uh, classic British. But yeah, yeah, yeah. from yeah. American standpoint, I'd go with Adam Sandler. I've not seen The Wedding Singer, to be fair. I've heard that's a really good romantic comedy as well. Yes, yes, it is. Also, um, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, I think, is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah but yeah, it's been a while since I watched this as well, but I watched it. I've, I remember watching this several times. Must have the DVD. Our friend must have the DVD. But yeah, really good film. It's about um, Drew Barrymore's got short term memory loss, so she can't remember anything. She, she lives one day at a time. She's got her long term memories, but she can't commit anything in the past. Any can't can't commit anything in the short term to her memory. So she starts every day anew. And so Adam Sandler has to it goes out with her every day as if uh, and but she never remembers him. It's, very funny. Yeah, it's a good film. Great premise. <laughs> cool imagine coming up with an idea like that. Fifty first dates, man number four. Neil, you're number three. Number three is a film that I would watch on a Sunday with a hangover. It's it's quite a quite a sad one at the times that I've watched it. I've watched it three or four times. Fiddler now. on the roof. Fiddler on the roof. <laughs> that was that was this Sunday. <laughs> I was a bit worse than hungover. <laughs> a bit better than hungover. Still sorry. drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, it's a very, very well written. It's not the best premise in the world, but the way it's executed and written, I think, was very good. Uh, what was the fiddler on the roof? No, it's uh, about time. He hasn't said yet. <laughs> oh, you haven't said? No, I've I've said now. It's uh, about time. About time, right? Have you seen it? Never it's heard it's of quite it. new. I I've seen. I saw it on the lists, but I've, I've not. I've not even heard of it. It's, the prior it came out so. about 2015 or 16, or that's when I saw it on Netflix. Uh, it's a very good film. It's about um, someone who can... This, it's father and son who have the ability to time travel. Rachel McAdams is in it. But no, I recommend it. it came out. 2013. Uh, Bill Nye. Ronald Gleeson. Got a good cast. Yeah, it's an all-star cast. Watch it. Oh, Margot Robbie. Hey, Dan, you're number three. My number three is, I'm sorry, that uh, Dickie Burton and Elizabeth Taylor again pushed to one side, but I like this interpretation of Taming of the Shrew, and it's Ten Things I Hate About You. I have a soft spot for that film from 1999, so it's, it's pre-millennium, it's the last century, it's the last millennium, it's a long time ago, starring Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles in that classic story by Shakespeare, retold in the setting of an American high school, which was all the trend at the time, because all films at that time were made set in American high schools, they all managed to fit them in, it's extraordinary what goes on there. Um, I really enjoy it, and I've enjoyed it since I first saw it, and it's, I suppose it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. So, yep, that's my number three. Great, thanks. My number three, also my favourite adaption of Taming the Shrew, Ten Things I Hate About You. Hey! <laughs> Classic, starring a young Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. Uh, yeah. Stop really repeating what I Cla- said. Come with your own material. Classic. <laughs> Classic 90s film. Uh, set in a high school, as all films around about that time were. Uh, yeah, can't, <laughs> just, <such> a... <laughs> just can't see past it. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I, I remember. I've not watched in a while again, but I, this is one I've watched a number of times. Uh, the bit that stands out is when Heath Ledger sings a lot of you baby on the stands. Yep. There's a really good uh, sort of. Was that a scene? Yeah, it's called a scene. Um, yeah. It gets carried away by the guards. It's really. It's got all the all the trappings of a classic romantic comedy, uh, as you may expect from a Shakespeare adaptation. Great. One number twos. Yeah. Uh, as previously discussed, I think this one will be kiboshed, but it's uh, <laughs> oh dear. another Adam Sandler film where there's several themes, let's say. Uh, Don't mess with one, the of them, one of them is romance. <laughs> a, cheesy, a cheesy romance. Uh, Happy Gilmore. Oh, God. Yeah. I would, I'd say, yeah. I mean, this was late speaking a second, but I'd a, I'd a peg the central theme in this film about his journey as a golf. I, w- <laughs> I would. I, once you said at the start the, the the definition as the overarching theme is the romance, then. I would say it is a, a little bit of a side plot, but key to the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> and I've a not, good uh, film nonetheless. I've not, uh, I've not brought up, I've not found a substitute. Uh, so I'm sticking with it. What, for a gold-based <laughs> comedy with a romance subplot? <laughs> Unless you can come back to me and I'll find another one. No, yeah, I mean, this is it's not really a great area, but I can, I can understand the, <laughs> the um, I mean, any 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 excuse to put Happy Gilmore in Ost, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Come back to me. And Dan, you're number two. My number two is that great classic comedy um, starring Ben Stiller, and Robin Williams, Night at the Museum, with a complex love relationship between Sacagawea and um, President Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt, I think. I was just thinking there about Neil. If Neil can get away with that, I'm going to pick some random film to sort of yeah. in here. My real number two is An Affair to Remember from 1957, starring Cary Grant and Debbie Kerr, um, a story of two people that meet on a on a on a ship traveling to the US they're both in relationships um but they they fall for each other and that relationship bit is not actually the the impediment to it uh however there is something else but also I wouldn't say well that thing is that happens it is it is a comedy in that sort of classic black and white way. There is no need for the overarch the the, 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 the they're not forcing the jokes. It it's funny in that more subtle way. Um and it's a great film. It really is. And I and I can totally appreciate when whenever I describe it to people and I go, Oh, it's a story about two people who are in a relationship who actually fall in love with each other and you know maybe not in a modern context this is popular, but I really like it, so it's my number two. Great. My number two is this was this was my most borderline one, I think, and it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> so there's, I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but it's it's perhaps not the the key message and um, sort of focus of the film, but it's definitely 
a major part of it. See, I don't know if you agree with that. I thought about it, and I would say, I would say it's a rom com. I think I did see that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, classic uh, Bill Murray film, Anna McDowell again. Is Anna McDowell? I've got an absolute blind spot for Anna McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also picked two films where the same person's trying to remember someone the next day. And they can't remember. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's it's in. There's not really. I mean, I mean, Bill Murray is obviously the main character in this film because, as I say, it's his journey that's the focus of the film. But in, in Fifty First Dates, it's more sort of a shared, uh, shared protagonist role. Um, but yeah, both, both in a similar vein. You're right. Um, which was interesting because when I was chatting through Fifty First Dates, I was like, this is a lot like Groundhog Day in that respect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a classic film. Uh, it's a great, it's a great film, a great comedy, uh, great, great rom com. <laughs> no more needs to be said. Number ones. No, uh, no, I'm coming back to number two. I have, right. I found a number two, and something you wouldn't expect, but I've seen it on this list, and I feel so like two with number it. twos. It's a Disney film, which you a wouldn't Disney. immediately animated. Animated, you wouldn't immediately associate Disney with comedy. Uh, but the overarching well, Bambi's quite funny. <laughs> uh, Wally. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I used to watch it a lot. I've not watched it in a while, but yeah, I really, I, I really like that film, and it's quite funny. Yeah. I had a good interpretation. I've seen it once, and a good interpretation, a good interpretation of the future. Yeah, Pixar tend to do more things like that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Right, number ones. So, give us if you had any honourable mentions, feel free to shout them out as well. Uh, Happy Gilmore. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could <be> number one. <laughs> number one for me is my favourite comedy duo. Oh, Abbott and Costello, Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. No, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Vince, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson mm. with the Wedding Crashers. Vince Vaughn being one of my favourite actors of all time. I think, I think, oh he's, I think he's hilarious. Um, and yeah, he's been in a few rom-coms. But Wedding Crashers, I think, is his best work. Uh, it's, a lot, it's a long watch, about three hours long, but it is... <laughs> it is remarkably long. <laughs> it is, it is. There's a couple of those sort of... Uh, what do they call them? Frat pack films that are just yeah old school and uh, yeah and uh, Battle the Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights is really long as well. It's like yeah over two hours I think. But no, I think it's a very well produced film and I think it's hilarious. It's a good premise, but yeah, it's 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 always been my number one rom com. It's always been my favorite. That I've always said. So I'm not. I'm not going to back down. Now. Is the premise uh, just just to clarify? Is the premise not crashing weddings, going to a wedding, pretending to be somebody, so you could pump lonely single people? Well, it's hilarious that the uh, the, the <laughs> it's hilarious that they crash these weddings, and it's the the the, the situation they found themselves in is uh, is good. I feel more sorry for the situation the girls find themselves in, but and happy endings, of course. Of course, 
And Christo- Christopher Walken's in it as well, isn't he? Yes. And he's always good in everything he does. Oh, he's a father. I, I was half expecting you to try to shoehorn swingers in here. <laughs> well done for that. <laughs> I, did th- I did think of swingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, what's your number one? Any honourable mentions? I do have some honourable mentions. Uh, and and I forgot one of them. I had one of them in my head. Where's it gone? Uh, well, something you said before, Neil, and I thought oh, I could probably shoot. Oh, that was it. Uh, honorable mentions. I've got Zombieland. Um, because that's a horror comedy romance. So I'm gonna force that one in there. And another honorable mention because I really did it about putting this on my list, and I find it really hard not to. I love you, man. From nine from two thousand and nine with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. But it's not a traditional romance. It's a romance between two guys who are trying to make a friendship. Is that um, when he's looking for a best man? Yeah, yeah, that is good. I I love that. Is one of my that's one of my favorite comedy like modern comedy films. Um, and and Lou Ferrigno is brilliant in it, as he is in everything. Uh, but my number one, my number one, because I can't sit here going through all these American films. I've got to get a British film in there. And there is only one film. Only one British film which tops my list. And that also has Hugh Grant in it. And Obviously. a cornucopia of other British actresses and actors who... Is it Colin Firth in it? It may have Colin Firth in it. It may have Colin Firth in it. It is supposedly where they went for the... Harry, when, they, when they were casting people for Harry Potter, they thought, I'm just going to watch this film because all the best are in it. Half of them aren't in Harry Potter, but that's by the by. A fine film, 2003, you know, love is all around, love actually. Uh, uh, brilliant film, it's the, it is the season, I can watch it any time. It has every possible combination of, of, of romance which has massive challenges, whether it be because you're Prime Minister and she's the maid, whether it be because... Your wife's pumping your brother, so you so you have to run off and you can't speak Portuguese. You know all of these wonderful commonplace scenarios that happen to all of us in our lives. Um, it's just such a good film. It's so funny, and like I say, the the cast, as is often the case with British films, as it is with British television, the cast is fantastic with so many familiar faces, faces who at the time weren't necessarily that well known as well and have now gone to to, to bigger and, and, and greater things and and some we've lost like Alan Rickman um, and it's, it's just a superb, superb superb, you can shove your Notting Hill you can go bury the four weddings and a funeral, this this for me is the British rom-com Colin Firth isn't it? He is. Oh, he is. No. Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I said he was. All right, you seemed unsure. No, he is because he, he plays he plays the guy, Jamie. Who, yeah, who wants to who, with the Portuguese lady, right. in France, and he learns Portuguese. Badly. It sounds like a British film. <laughs> Classic, you know. <laughs> there's a picture of Margaret Thatcher at one point. It just <laughs> it ticks all my boxes. <laughs> My number one is I'll do my honorable mentions. This was 
I didn't put this on because I think it was a rom-com. Meet the parents. Yeah. No, not really, because they're already getting married. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they do break up. Like it follows the same. It follows the standard sort of yeah structure, but it's not. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's about their romance. I mean, it is, but it's not at the same time, if you know what I mean. So it's, yeah. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. Um, You've Got Mail, classic follow-up to Slips in Seattle with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Two great, two, two very close contenders here. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and You've Got Mail. But my number one is, uh, Dan's just trashed it, uh, but I agree with Neil, Notting Hill. My number one for British rom-com. Hugh Grant, Julie Roberts. It, I have watched Love Actually, and it is really good, but it, this benefits from there being a single story, I think. But is it a British rom-com if one of the main the main <laughs> protagonists is an American? <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> it was written by Richard Curtis, therefore, ergo... And... No Colin Firth. So, yeah, it's not a British rom-com. You're right, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, additional honourable mention. Additional honourable mention saying saying about that. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> Plenty of romance. It's been a while since I watched it. I wasn't Between Mini, it, Mini Driver and, and um, Matt Damon. I wasn't first on either. Yeah. So Notting Hill. Not in Helm, number one, yeah. yeah it's, it's, every, it's, extremely you want. it's extremely British. Yes. Yeah, it's it's Brent. What, yeah, what do you want? Exactly. <laughs> None of these Americans coming over here taking our uh, acting jobs. She's just visiting. <laughs> she's just, I bet she's in it for the whole bloody film. <laughs> she probably gets deported at the end. So Good. Fine. Good. <laughs> in the back. My number one, Not in Helm. <laughs> I do have another, uh, another honourable mention. Oh, God! <laughs> and I, and, and it's not, Just what I thought it wrapped up nicely. And it's, and it's got the man himself, Adam Sandler, in it. I, oh, God! I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> that, okay, that, 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 that stands. That's allowed to stand. I've seen it. That is, uh, that has got one of the most funny wedding scenes I've seen in a film. I love the wedding scene. Is that, that where the fire firemen? Yeah, yeah. Two straight yeah, single Brooklyn firefighters pretend to be a gay couple in order to receive partner benefits. Yeah, maybe I have seen it. Right. Well, thank you very much, Gregor, for that. Five point nine out of ten. <laughs> and that brings us that brings us to the end of our episode. So thank you all for listening. If you've managed to get this far, um, if you'd like to be, you know. If you like what you hear, please give us a like, give us a follow, download. You can find us on Twitter, at Can I Interject. You can find us on Facebook, if you search Can I Interject. We have a presence, but it's slightly shadowy at the moment. More of a ghost, a poltergeist presence, rather than anything particularly concrete, but we're there. So please give us a follow. You know, Send us a message. You can email us at Can I Interject podcast at gmail.com let us know what you think if you have any ideas for the show anything you'd like us to talk about even we're happy to take suggestions and for now thank you very much for listening Mm -hmm.